Welcome to Word Mission Church International Podcast. Now the word. Amen. Today I want to honor two women in the Bible. And I'll tell you why I want to honor them. The first one is Jehoshiba. And you see her, she just kind of shows up real briefly in the Bible. And then she's out of the scene. But something she did was so profound. So this is this Jehoshiba. She grew up in an environment with adult, adult I, I, idolatry, idol worshippers. Okay, so she's growing up in this environment. Um, Ahab had married Jezebel, and so turned the heart of the people to worship idols. And then they had a daughter called Ataliah, who married Jehoram. So now Jehoram has a son called Ahaziah. This Ahaziah had sons, but he died very early when he was a king. So for Athaliah to want to reign permanently, she ordered the murdering of all these sons. She ordered for all the sons to be murdered. That's where Jehoshiba came in. But this is why it's so crucial, because Jesus had promised that the Messiah was coming through Judah. And Jehoram had killed all his brothers so that, as the Bible says, they were better than him. But he wanted to secure himself on the throne. So all the, the, the king, the Messiah, is coming through Judah. And Ataliah wants to wipe out all of Ahaziah's kings. What she was trying to do was to make sure that she didn't know, probably, but demon-possessed, the enemy wanted to cut off Jesus from coming to the world. And today, the reason I honor Jehoshiba is because she took a risk. She didn't have to. She said, if all these kids are killed, how is the Messiah going to come? So she went and she stole Johash. She stole Johash and hid him in the temple for six years. So this whole time, Ataliah thinks I'm the queen. She's reigning for six years, and she thinks she's the queen permanently, and that it's all done, and, and she's going to be the permanent queen till she dies, and there's no one who will challenge her lineage. And then one day, seven years had come, the perfect timing of God, and then here comes Joash. Joash shows up. They dethrone Ataliah, and... Joash gets his rightful place in the kingdom of God. But it was because Jehosheba chose to do something amazing. She saw everybody worshiping idols, but she said, that wouldn't be me. And then she married the high priest, Jehoiada, and they raised this boy. And now I think about it, the enemy may look at our lives or look at a family and say, I have them down. I have the father on drugs. I have the mother um, gone, uh, gone at sea. I have the, the, the son. We don't know where he is. And then he didn't know that this week, that son turned on the TV. And then he saw Pastor Paul preaching. And then the word began to go through his heart. And he began to say, mm, the word coming into my heart, that looks like there's hope. Maybe our lives are not as useless as the devil has told us it will be. And then the father who is in prison hears the word. And all of them begin to hear the word. 
And then the word begins to prevail, begins to prevail over what the enemy had thought he had finally got them with. And then they show up in church. All this time, the devil thinks, that family, I have it down. That generation, I have it down. And then they begin to serve the Lord. And then all of a sudden, a generational curse is broken because the word of God prevailed. There's a second woman I want to honor today. Her name is Rahab. The reason I want to honor Rahab today is because she chose not to let her past define her future. She said, I might have been a prostitute. Yes, that's okay. I might have made mistakes in the past. I didn't know better then. But now I've heard about the God of Isaac, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm going to pick myself and join myself to them. And when she did that, oh my goodness, God began to wave a whole new tapestry, even with her mistakes, to where she gave birth to Boaz, who was in the lineage of Jesus. I honor her today because like so many of us, we allow the enemy to determine our future by our past. But no, let's not allow the enemy to determine the future by our past. Because the plans God has for us are good to bring us to an expected end. Amen? Amen. To bring us to an expected end. Amen? So God is able to come even when we've made the largest of mistakes. And he would say, you know, they actually made that mistake. They actually did something that legally the enemy has a hold on their lives. But I love what he says in Isaiah 49, 25. He says, but that says the Lord, even the captives of the mighty will be taken away and the prey of the terrible will be delivered. I will contend with they that contend with you, not just for you, but I'll save your children. Amen. Amen. I will save your children. So it's time, like in Zechariah 9, it's time to run to our stronghold. It's time to run to the Lord because he can redeem what has been lost in the name of Jesus. Let's start our Bible reading today. <laughs> that was just the appetizer. Let's start in the book of Genesis. Let's look at the very first words that God said to Adam and Eve. God came to Adam and Eve and he said, and God said, and God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, over every living thing that moves upon the earth. God said to them, you are blessed. What God in effect said to them was that you have been empowered to win in life. You have been empowered to go out and succeed. As soon as the enemy knew this, here comes he, the devil, in chapter 3. So the enemy shows up in chapter 3, and he says to them in verse 5, you would not surely die. He says to them, God is actually trying to hide something from you. He's trying to hide you, um, something from you that would make you become like God. But the Bible already said he made them in the image of God. As soon as he could attack the integrity of God with Adam and Eve, he could cause them to disobey. See, the enemy wouldn't do the things for us, but he would prop you enough that you would eat the fruit. 
He comes to whisper, to whisper, to whisper that he will lure you to make that mistake so that he can legally say, I have no idea why they did that. I, I, I just was minding my own business in the tree, and uh, I don't know, they, they chose to eat the fruit. All I told them is that you'll be like God, and I, they were already like God. I have no idea even why they bothered to eat the fruit. Well, yesterday, I went to YouTube to find something. It's a movie that I watched as a child. It's Oliver Twist. So I went to look for Oliver Twist because it was a picture that I had concerning John 10.10. So I got the perfect scene. It was a play. It was about just a minute and 46 seconds. Perfect what I was looking for. There was this little boy that was behind someone trying to sneak out something from his pocket. While all the while, there was someone in front of the man doing little tricks and distracting him. And I was like, yes, that's what the enemy does. While he's robbing you, he distracts you enough so that you don't even see that you are being robbed. So look at something. In John 10.10, 10, the Bible says, in John 10.10, 10, the thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. I'll give you the interpretation in the Greek so that it will make more sense to you. What Jesus is saying is that the thief comes in like a kleptomania. He comes in in a way that you don't see that he's pickpocketing you. His goal is to steal when you cannot see it. Now, the word kill there is when the devil convinces you to lay the promises God has given you on the altar. Not for good, but to say, I give up on my dreams. I give up on whatever God has said. I give up on what I see in the Bible. It's not working for me. It may work for Sarah, Rebecca, Monique, but in my life, the word of God doesn't work. So I lay it on the altar. That's kill. Now, the last one is when he totally, utterly destroys your life because he's brought you to a place of hopelessness. And I'll show you an example in the life of Abraham. So when you turn to Genesis 12, it says, the Lord said to Abraham, get thee out of your country, from your kindred, from your father's house, unto the land that I will show you. Abraham was good. It's like, yes, sir, I'm on my way. Well, Genesis 12, 13, so he says to his, his wife, Sarah, he says, when we get there for my sake, just please tell them that you're my sister. Don't tell them that you are my wife, because if you do, these people could kill me for your sake. So Sarah goes and she's like, oh, I, she, obeys the, she obeys her husband as her Lord, as the Bible says, and she does what he tells her to do. I'm trying to show you how the enemy comes into our lives and robs us in very little ways. So unbeknownst to them, the kin finds out that, oh my goodness, that's not your wife, that's not your sister. That, what I saw, it's not your sister, sir. He's like, it's actually my wife. I'm so sorry. Well, anyway, they, they said, get out of here. That's the literal translation. Just get out of here. But when they were leaving, look at 1216. It says, I prayed, it, it says, and he entreated Abraham well for her sake. He acquired sheep. Oxen, he donkeys, men servants, maid servants, she donkeys, and camels. Where did you think Hagar came from? 
the maid servants there, that is how he acquired Hagar. So sometimes the enemy makes us think that we just told a lie. We just did something and it was innocent. But the devil uses those to find loopholes into our lives. And so the devil had sneaked in Hagar without him realizing the trouble that was ahead. Now they had marital problems. Now they had issues with, with what are we going to do? The baby is not coming in. All of a sudden, his wife has this amazing idea. Oh, there is Hagar, the maidservant we got from Egypt. Let's go have a baby with her because the Lord is delaying in his promises. And now we have laid down on the altar what God has promised us. And we have given up on what God has promised us. And now we are trying to answer God's prayers for him because God cannot answer his own prayers. And all of a sudden, the devil is trying to rob them of a blessing and they have no idea that several years down the road, you and I will be dealing with the Hagar problem. But it just took, please tell them you're my sister. Very easy. And that's how the pickpocket works. He comes in in a very easy way. He's robbing you and you have no idea because it sounds so good. This is such a great idea. We'll finally have a baby. God couldn't do it, but we have a better way. And the enemy is all the time doing this to us, and we have no clue what's really happening in the background. Recently, I was on, um, I was on the highway. I was heading to Costco, and all of a sudden, there was someone behind me. He's coming at top speed, maybe 15 to 20 miles behind me. And then all I did was I turned on my hazard, and then I just kept my cool. And then this person was behind me. I was like, she must be in trouble. And then he just went the other way. And I laughed. I laughed. I was like, oh, my goodness. I got him to get on my back, and he has no clue. I have no problem with the car just trying to get you to leave my back. And sometimes that's what the enemy does. He comes into our lives. He causes, he's causing the trouble between the husband and the wife, between the parent and the child. And all the while, we don't even realize he is the one behind it. Now, God says his truth will set us free. And today, there's so many things that the Lord has shown me in the Bible. And when we begin to lay this open and expose the enemy for who he is, this will be one of the last times he will try to sneak in on you. Because God will show you who he is for who he is, that next time he comes around, he'll be like, mm -mm, not today, not here. This is, the, this is a no-go zone for you, devil. This, this family is a no-go zone for you, devil. Hallelujah. I, as easy as it is to, to miss it, it's equally easy to walk in the blessing. If you turn with me to Act 12, 12, I'll tell you about a woman there, and you'll see how easy it is in the opposite for us to walk in the blessing as well. Thank you. So it tells us in Acts 12, 12, this is when Peter was released from prison and he's coming back. He comes to a house, and that house is the house of Mary. This is not Mary, the mother of Jesus. This is Mary, the mother of Mark. So he comes to the house, and the house he comes to 
is the house where Jesus and his disciples met. This is the same house where um, her, she had opened up her upper room and used it for a church. And so uh, the church had no rent and everybody said, Amen. And the church had no mortgage because this woman had taken upon herself to, to, to take care of the church location that they needed. Amen. Amen. I, anyway, so this woman in the Bible, you don't hear much about her as far as who her husband was. And I'm saying this because God doesn't pick perfect families. God picks imperfect families that would allow the Lord to work through them. It's not in our perfection that he uses us. He takes the foolish things of this world to confine the wise. He said he came for the sick, not for the healthy. So this woman, we know in the Bible that she had a son, and we also know that she had a brother. His name was Barnabas. And when everybody was afraid of, Bar was, was afraid of Saul, who had become Paul, it was Barnabas who put in a good word. For Paul. And Paul ended up writing two thirds of the New Testament. This was such an amazing family all around. It wasn't perfect by any shape, but they loved the Lord. And so she opened up her house, and that's where Jesus and his disciples will meet, and that's where all the believers will meet, and that's why everybody was gathered there praying for Peter that day. Now, you know what? When the Holy Spirit came in Acts 2, it was Mary's house that he came to. Isn't that awesome? It was Mary's house that he came to because Mary had opened up her house. And then she had this little boy who was hanging around the disciples and running around them as a teenager. And one time Paul said, I send Mark home. It's such a distraction. But when all was said and done, her son Mark wrote the book of Mark. The same book that we read today, her son Mark wrote it. Isn't that awesome? That's as easy as generational blessings can happen on the flip side. And as easy as we can just allow the enemy to come in. But when we know his tricks, we don't allow him to come in because now we know his tricks. See, it's not in the big things that the enemy gets us. It's in the little things. So it says that mind the little foxes because it's the little foxes that spoil the vine. Many of us will never kill another person in our lifetime. It's just so out there for us. But the devil knows he can get us to do a little gossip here. Why? Because he is the one who is the original gossiper. He's the accuser of the brethren. And he was cast down from heaven. He was cast down. And it's in the little things that the enemy gets access into families, into lineages. It's in the little things. It's not in the big things. So what happens when we get saved? Because Jesus came so that we can walk in that salvation. What really happens when we get saved? When we get saved, our spirit man is recreated. If you read John 3, Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus, and Nicodemus is saying, what would, do I need to get my whole big old body back into my mother's womb so that I can be born again? Jesus says, no, Nicodemus, no, no, no. You don't get it. We're talking about spiritual things here. Your spirit man is going to be recreated. Not your natural body, your spirit man is what is going to be recreated. So 1 Thessalonians 5.23 tells us clearly we have a spirit, we have a soul, we have a body. And in our soul, that's where our will, our mind, and our emotions are. 
So the enemy doesn't care so much. He knows he cannot bother you in the spirit, but he knows that if he can get you in your soul area, where your mind, your will, and your emotions are concerned, then he can slowly take you off course. So the Bible says, do you not know that to whom you, you, you yield yourself as servants, he, they become, it becomes your Lord? So the devil wants you to take your will and yield it to him. He knows you got saved on Saturday night. But on Monday morning, he comes and says, there's a business proposition going on. We can, get, we, can, we can do this in a way that you and me can put together some $10,000 that nobody would know about. You just got saved on Saturday. But he's coming to you on Tuesday to check if your will will be in alignment with God or if your will will come in alignment with him, the devil. Because he knows, and that is why a Christian cannot be possessed by demonic spirits. You cannot be possessed. Possession simply means the devil owns you. The real you is your spirit man. The devil cannot own you, but he can tempt you in the soul area. Where your emotions are concerned, where your will is concerned, where your mind is concerned, that's where he can tempt you so that he can take you off course gradually from what God has destined for you. And so Paul says we should keep the body under. That's why the Bible says renew your mind with the word. Renew your mind with the word. You, that part is being saved, as the Bible says. The soul is being saved. The mind is being saved. The body will be saved. The spirit is fully saved on the day of salvation. Do you see how the enemy gets us? Because sometimes the world gets confused. They say, this person says she's a Christian, but she just lied. She just stole my cup. She just stole my bracelet. Um, she just um, took my noodles, I guess. <laughs> but, but it's like, what happened? I thought, I thought, but it's because the person hasn't yielded fully to the Lord. As we come into his presence, we are changed from glory to glory. So we can't miss the opportunity to be in his presence. Every time we come into his presence, he's chipping us off. Like, think about onions. He's peeling the layers off. He's peeling it off. He's peeling it off till we are more like him and less like the world. That's what God wants. And when we know this truth, that begins the end of the devil's dominion because we finally found out this is where he's robbing us. It's in the soul area. Amen. It's in the soul area. Because when you get saved, if you went in and they prayed with you and you were a Japanese, you come out as a Japanese. If you went in and you spoke Afrikaans, you come out and you're still speaking Afrikaans. If you went in and um, you knew how to use chopsticks, you still know how to use chopsticks when you come out. It, that's, that's the soul, that's the body. It's the same. The spirit man, that's what God recreated. So in 1 Peter 5, 8, Peter is writing, and he would know better to let us all know this. He's writing, and he says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, he's speaking to Christians. Why would he be speaking to Christians and saying this? Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, he walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom 
he may devour. The real translation is that the adversary, your enemy, he's like a prosecutor. He's looking into your life to see the loophole that he can use to legally accuse you and rob you of your blessings. He's looking through your life to see what is in their life that I can use as a loophole to access them and to rob them of their blessings. What is in their life? So I want to look at two ways that the enemy perpetrates generational curses in a family. Because if we know these two ways, we will know how to deal with them. It comes simply through the habits, one, through the habits and the tendencies of your natural family. See, um, I, I've never learned how to drink alcohol. It's not a temptation. But if you grew up and alcohol was always in your home, that is your temptation. Everybody has a different battle they fight. That temptation is different from my temptation because every household is different. So we need to look and see in Hebrews 12 when it says, Wherefore, seeing you are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every sin, every weight, every sin, which so easily besets us and run with patience. The rate that is set before us, our weights are different. The things that hold us bound vary from family to family to family. We need to zoom in and identify the one thing or the three things or <laughs> what they are that easily beset us and then fill our minds with the word of God. That Father, help me in this area. Help me in this area so the enemy does not attack me in this area. Two, familiar spirits. Familiar spirits are familiar with you, exactly how the Bible says. They are familiar with you. They are familiar with the lineage weaknesses. They are familiar with things that happen in your family. They know what to trigger you, how to set you up to sin. Familiar spirits, and I'll show you an example. Turn to First Chronicles 21. While this was happening, no one had a clue standing around David. And it says, and Satan stood against Israel, provoked David to number Israel. David wanted to number Israel. And everyone was saying, why would you do that? Why would you do such a thing that you just cause the anger of the Lord to come upon us? He didn't listen. Because there was an evil spirit that was dealing with him. But do you know the good news? When you become a Christian, it's not familiar spirits that lead you anymore. It's not familiar spirits that whisper to you. And so sometimes we have to be compassionate. When someone says to you, the enemy led me, be compassionate. Because it truly can happen. That people can be there and the enemy is whispering things to them. And before they know, they don't know why they did it, but they just did it. Until you are empowered by the blood, by the word, by the Holy Spirit, by the anointing of God, you won't even know the difference between the demonic realm speaking to you and God speaking to you. But praise God, the opposite is true. When you become saved, the opposite happens. The Holy Spirit, the Bible says he will guide you into all truth. The Holy Spirit, our God, will guide you into all truth. And sometimes you might not even know what the truth is. John 16, 13. The Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth. You know what that guide means? 
It means he will recalibrate your life. He will shift things in place so that you are not ending up on the wrong side of life. He will guide you like a GPS guides us. You know when you sit in a vehicle and you begin to drive and maybe you were supposed to take a left turn, but you took a, a right turn. What the Holy Spirit does is that he takes the directions, recalibrates it and says, if you take south and you take east and you take north, you'll be back where you were supposed to be. That's what the Holy Spirit does. One time, the kids and I, we were, um, they, they wanted to eat marshmallows. And I know I, we do eat vegetables, too, in our house. But we went out that day because we wanted to get marshmallows. Think about going out for that reason. Anyway, we are coming out of Walmart, and we're standing at the traffic light. And then the one in front of me drives off. And then I'm still standing there, and I, I actually started, and I stopped. And so Joseph was behind me, and he says, why did you stop? Before, so I tend to answer him because I really didn't even know why I stopped. I tend to answer him, and before I could flick my eye and see what was happening, an accident had just happened in front of me. An accident had just happened for the one of marshmallows. An accident <laughs> had just happened, and this is how the Holy Spirit leads when you come into his territory. The same way the enemy leads when you are in his territory and you don't know, that's one benefit of being a believer. The Holy Spirit in you will now begin to be the one who is speaking to you. And, and then as you begin to yield, as you begin to yield, he's ordering your steps. He's ordering your steps. And what looked impossible becomes possible because the Holy Spirit is now leading you. It says in Romans 8, 14 through 16, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God and daughters too. We, we are led by the Holy Spirit. We are led by the Holy Spirit. You know, doctors know this. When you go into a doctor's office, they would give you a big old sheet of all the diseases they can think of in the world that you possibly could have. And so they come out with this sheet, and it's all the sicknesses that, you know what they are trying to find out? Because they expect that if your father had it, if your mother had it, then you should have blood pressure too. If your, if, if your grandparents had it, then what they expect is that you should have it too. But Galatians 3.13 says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Everyone who hangs on the tree. But remember, the devil is a thief. He doesn't let go without a fight. I remember one time um, when our son Joseph was born, he, um, at nine months old, they, the, the the, the doctor had found out that there's something weird going on with his waist, so he sent us to the specialist. Well, we get to the specialist, and she says, well, I have news for you. Your, your son will neither walk, would not walk, or if he ever tries to walk, he will limp. And so I said that day, I said, even as we stand here, Jesus has healed him. So the, on the paperwork they wrote, this mother is a fanatic. Because they couldn't understand 
why I would say Jesus has already healed him, when they are seeing in the natural that he, he has a waist issue. Well, when I was in college, I had a waist issue. Well, way before college. For as long as I could remember, I would have to stop when everybody else was walking. I never knew what really it was, but the pain was so excruciating, I could literally hear the click in my femur bone. I could hear the pain, and I would have to stop when everybody was walking. So it was later that I realized, ooh, the enemy is trying to pass this thing onto my son. But God healed me in college. See, Exodus 23, 25 says, You will serve the Lord. He will bless your bread and your butter, and he will take sickness away from you. We, in, in, our ch in, the, in the church at the time, was about 800 to 1,000 students. And on Sunday morning, we had to go up and go sweep. And I would wake up, get there by 4 a.m., and I'm sweeping with my waist. About a month from then, I didn't know what was going on. I felt no pain, and I hadn't prayed about it. I had continuous nose issues. I prayed about that. I had, had palpitations. It was bad. I had to stop. I prayed about that, and God healed me. But this waste thing, I did not pray about it. Well, it was several years later that the Lord opened my eyes to Exodus 23:25, that you will serve the Lord. He will bless your bread and your butter, and he will take... And he says there's no prayer in that verse. He will take sickness away from you. And he had done that, but the enemy is a thief. He was coming to put that on Joseph. So I said, when is your next appointment? They said, um, in, they said don't bother to come early. There's no chance. And just come back in six months. I said, no, 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 I'm not coming back in three months is what they said, no. And I said, no, I'm not coming back in three months. So I told them, what is the earliest you have? They said, in nine days for another ultrasound. So when we're going home, Joshua remembers this. We were singing, Jesus has healed Joseph. Thank you, Lord. We made up our own song. Our own, it's never been, you've never heard it on radio? <laughs> and actually, it's a song Joshua and I crafted that day. I think we need to get Mr. Gary to put that on the TV or something. Anyway, we, we went back in nine days. And they, 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 I have the sheet. There was no problem with Joseph's waist. There was no problem with Joseph's waist. There was the first one, there was the scan, but in nine days, God had done it. Amen. Well, God may have done it before nine days, but in nine days, we had the proof that God had healed him. Because the enemy is a thief. We don't want to give him any loopholes into our lives. Any loophole you give him, he will take. There's a connection between iniquity and sickness. And so we want to pray forgiveness for the iniquities of our forefathers, but you don't want to own the iniquities. There's a difference. In Psalm 103, 3 to 5, it says, God forgives all your iniquities. He heals all your diseases. So when the iniquities are forgiven in the bloodline, the healing follows. So as believers, we pray, and we pray, God, forgive our past people, our ancestors, for the iniquities they committed, but never, never identify with them, because in Christ, you are in a new bloodline. There's a difference. We want to pray and say, God, in this, in this family line, this happened, blood pressure, uh, 
what kind of sickness is out there? Whatever. So we want to pray <laughs> and pray and say, God, I pray for forgiveness for the sins that open the door for this iniquity to come through my bloodline. But we never want to own it. Revelations 18.4, it says, Come ye from among them. Be not partakers of her sins, or you will also receive her plagues. When we partake of sins, we also receive the plagues that come with it. And so to sin is to miss the mark. To trespass is to cross the line God has set. But iniquity is when sin has been practiced again and again and again that there's a twistness to it. It's almost like you have a bend towards that because all you know is in this family we do A, B, C, D. So iniquity is something that opens the door for sickness, but we want to pray and ask for forgiveness, but not to identify ourselves with that bloodline. Because when we become Christians, new blood runs through our veins. The blood of Jesus is what now runs through our veins. And so we can go into the doctor's office, and when they bring out that big old sheet, and they ask you, do, does your family have uh, hypertension? Does your family have cancer? Can you give me some diseases to help me out? Whatever the diseases. Does your family have ABC? You, you can say as a Christian, no. You can take the next big old sheet. That's what I do. No. I do it by revelation because I believe a new bloodline runs through my veins. I believe that a whole new bloodline is running through my vein. I'm a whole new creature in Christ. A whole new bloodline runs through my veins. Let's look at some practical ways we can walk in the blessing. And I want us to look at some people I love in the Old Testament. Then Jeremiah 35. I don't know if you've heard about the Rechabites. So the Rechabites were some people that the Lord had said to Jeremiah, bring them into the temple and let them drink wine. So it says in verse 2, go into the house of the Lord, the house of the Rechabites, and speak unto them. Bring them into the house of the Lord, into the chambers, and give them wine. And the Rechabites said, no, we don't drink wine. They said, because our father, Jonadab, told us not to drink wine. And they said from generation to generation, they wouldn't drink wine. And God said, God said about the, 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 uh, the Rechabites. And I, I, let me explain why they're called Rechabites. So Jonadab is their father, but the reason they're called Rechabites is because if you go to Second uh, Kings 10, 15 through 28, you'll see Jonadab there. Jehu was going to deal with Ahab, and he had asked Jonadab, can you come along and help me in this? So Jonadab is a son of a rider. Rechab simply means a chariot rider. He's just a chariot rider. So he joins him on the chariot, to go fight and deal with Ahab. And so that's why they ended up not being called Jonadabites, but Rechabites. They just called them by their profession. So maybe God comes to your house and you make very nice um, bread rolls or something, and they say, the bread roller died. You know? <laughs> that's, so they gave them that name, and, and God said, these children, and you find them again in Nehemiah 3. Um, they were taking care of the Dungate. They were so faithful, they never stopped being faithful. But they were not Israelites. They wanted to join 
in what God was doing amongst the Israelites. So like we being Gentiles, they wanted to join in. So it says, God said about them, Therefore that says the Lord God of Israel, Jonadab, the son of Rechab shall not want a man to stand before me forever. That's an amazing promise. He's saying that his descendants would ever be before him because obedience is it's inviting to the Lord. Just our obedience of the word. He says when we are willing and obedient, we'll eat the good of the land. And so obedience is so attractive to God. And so he just loved them and he said, Jesus hadn't come and died, but I promise you, you will be in heaven with me. That's amazing. That's way before Jesus died. They had that promise. Well, another thing we want to do is to find, locate mentors in the body of Christ. Because realize that now you are part of a bigger body. You are not part of just your little body. You are part of the Korean Christians in the world. You are part of the African Christians in the world. You are part of the Indian Christians in the world. And so when you walk into your church and you see somebody whose teenagers are doing well, and you look at them and it's like, you know, how do you raise your teenagers that they are so well behaved? And then you go hitch your hike to them. <laughs> and you learn how they do it. Because remember, the curses happen just as simple through the habits and the tendencies. But now we begin to form new habits. We begin to do things a whole new way. And sanctification opens the door for your inheritance. Acts 20, 32, it says, And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance amongst the sanctified. We're all believers, but God is saying when we separate ourselves, when we consecrate ourselves, there's an inheritance that is for us. We are all saved by the free grace of Jesus Christ. Our spirit man is recreated. But there are some inheritances that you receive through sanctification. So I remember when we were young believers, my pastor had called us all, a bunch of us, and he said he, he wanted to mentor us. And he said, the way you live holy and sexually pure, he says, I'll teach you one thing. Live a fasted life. And now remember, my pastor is also now part of my family because in the, in the body of Christ, we are all family, right? So I can take advice from him. And any Christian that I see is part of my family too. So he said, this is how you live pure as teenagers. And, and he told us, never let a week go by without spending time fasting. So from that day, with the exception of when I've had kids, I've never stopped following his advice. <laughs> I've never stopped following his advice. And then he, he told us about how to be pure, how to do things right. And I remember one other thing we were told is that spiritual warfare is, you don't need to know everything about spiritual warfare, just sexual purity makes you untouchable to the enemy. Now, I was born on, in wedlock, and so I'm hearing all these things, and I'm like, oh, now that I've heard these things and, and I've seen children born out of wedlock from generation to generation in my family and saying, wow, now God is teaching me through my new family how to break the kids. Yeah. 
how to, and God is sending people. You know, when Ahab and Jezebel were sinning, God sent Elijah to bring down fire so that they'll repent. God is always going to send somebody our way. And I love, like, like Rahab, she had made mistakes, but when they came and she heard about the Lord, and she heard about the new way to walk in the blessing, she said, oh, I'm not going back to that lifestyle anymore. I'm done with that lifestyle. And she began a generational blessing. So all these words were shaping my character. And, all, and, 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 and now my pastor was like my father because what he spoke into my life or what was, what was working. And, and then there were some examples. That I, I remember telling an uncle of mine, I said, so I'm dating now and our plan is that we're going to be sexually pure. That was a commitment we made on May 9th, which happens to be today. And I said, that was the commitment we made. And then he said, how would you know if your husband is impotent? But I'm so glad that my pastor was smarter and I took my pastor's advice. Amen. Amen. We have three kids. So I found out that that's not the case. <laughs> but I tell you, sometimes generational curses would happen in very unsuspecting ways from people you trust and respect saying things to you that you wonder. Because of the light of God's word, you don't follow those. Amen. Oh my goodness. Now, the next one is humility. I'm going to run through this quickly because it's already, you all have your dinners to go to. Well, humility. I want to talk about the sons of Korah. So in number 16, the sons of Korah, they essentially despised the job God had given them in the temple. So one day they rose up and they said to Abraham, he said, for all the congregation is holy, every one of them, and the Lord is amongst them. Why do you exalt yourself above this, the assembly of God? And when Moses heard it, he put his face down and he says, oh my goodness, what is happening with these people? That I exalt myself? I was minding my own business and I saw a burning bush. I told the Lord I didn't want to deal with these people. There's no way I lifted up myself to do anything. The reason I wanted us to look at that story is because their children rejected the acts of the parents. Their children did not join in on what the parents were doing. So God opened up the earth. The earth opened up, and the, the, the Korah and his followers fell into it. But the Bible clearly tells us in Numbers 21.10, it says, but the sons of Korah did not die that day. Wow. That was a blessing right there. Now, do you know what else is about the sons of Korah that is so special? The sons of Korah went on, and they wrote Psalm 42, Psalm 44, 43, 49. They wrote Psalm 84, 85. They wrote Psalm 87, 88. And then they wrote the Psalm 42 that we sing. As the deer panners for the waters, O oh my soul, long it you. They wrote that song because that day they said we will not follow in on our parents' mistakes. And so they went on and they started a blessing. We want to, number four, we want to expose the enemy. The Bible says in Ephesians 5:11, it says, Do not participate in the wetless and unproductive deeds of darkness, but instead expose them. 
We cannot keep quiet about the sins of our past. Because remember, familiar spirits, they come in, the goal is to repeat cycles from generation to generation to generation. So I wonder if my grandma is watching right now and she's thinking, I see it. I see how the enemy deceived me, deceived my child. Now I have these grandkids. How do I help them? You have to tell them the unique weaknesses that run in your family. That's the way you expose the works of darkness. Because until if you don't if you keep keeping it a secret, he's going to attack your children, your grandchildren, your great grandchildren, as long as he can. But when we bring it to the light, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. But the, the, the darkness could not overcome the light. Whenever things come into the light, you make it so hard for the devil to repeat that cycle in the next generation. We want to plead the blood, Revelations 12, number 5. Number 6, we want to be doers of the word. Now we want to serve the Lord. We want to serve the Lord. We already talked about Exodus 23, 25. And that we want to pray in the spirit. We want to pray the mysteries of God. Pray in the spirit. And then we want to forgive. This is so important because we become what we do not forgive. One day Jacob was returning and he heard his brother was coming. Gen Genesis 33. He heard his brother was coming with 400 men. So he remembered how he left the house. He remembered how he stole his bet, right? And so he was fearful. So that night he waged war and he fought. And then the Bible says he prevailed. God gave him a new name. His new name was Israel. Now when his brother approached him in Genesis 33, 3, he bowed down to him seven times. And then he asked him, who are these around you? He says, they are the children that the Lord has given me. You know who would have been standing there? Joseph. His son Joseph would have been standing there because that was his favorite wife's son. That was the only son they had. Well, so he's standing there with Joseph, and Joseph sees all that is happening. And Esau runs and embraces Jacob, now Israel. Well, fast forward a couple of years down the road. Joseph's brothers do him wrong. They throw him into the pit, and then they show up. What do they do? They bow down. They bow down before Joseph. You know, when the Bible says Joseph cried, I wonder if he remembered when his own father has bowed down and was bowing down to Esau, and Esau came and embraced him. Could it be that he remembered that? Could it be that that made him know that it was his time to also forgive what was done to him? Amen. It was his time to also forgive what was done to him. We can't walk in generational curses when we hold the pains of the past and the mistakes of their past against them. We can only walk in the blessing when we release it out of our hearts. And then maybe when we do that, they would open up and tell you 
how the enemy got to them, how the enemy was able to deceive them. Just maybe that might be what you need so that you don't walk in that case too. That might just be what you need. And so the last thing I want us to do today is to speak life over ourselves. And we're going to do some declarations before we go today. We're going to speak life. Because curses originally start with words. It started God blessed them with words and the enemy also came in and caused them to make a mistake with words. So can we all say this together and I'll give you the scriptures. I am a child of God. John John 1, 12. I am no longer a slave to sins. Romans 6, 6. I... <laughs> That's not going too well. We're just going to do the declarations, and then I'll, I'll give you all these sheets, okay? We'll print them out, and everybody will have it. I'm a child of God. I'm no longer a slave to sin. I am chosen. I am not condemned. I am free from the law of sin and death. I am heir with Christ. I am accepted. I am a saint. I am wise. I am the temple of God. I am a new creature in Christ. I'm no longer a slave to sin. I am set free. I am blessed. I am blameless. I am forgiven. I am God's own possession. I am marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. I am alive in Christ. I am seated in heavenly places. I produce good works. I am bold and confident. I am holy. I am no longer in darkness but light. I am a citizen of heaven. I am well provided for. I am complete in Christ. And I am a fruit-bearing Christian. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Pastor Paul is going to come up and Lead us in the salvation prayer this, this morning. We trust this podcast was a blessing. Subscribe for more messages like these. If you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior today, we would love to hear from you. Email us at info at wordmissionchurchinternational.org. We will love to equip you in daily walk, so sign up for devotionals and encouragement at www.wordmissionchurchinternational.org. You may reach us at 719-235-5535.